Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Avinu, thank you for your goodness and faithful to, to us this calendar year. Um, we pray that your word would encourage your, your people. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. So yesterday, the 25th of December, was apparently a special day. And honestly, I had no idea. Of course, I'm speaking about the 10th of Tevet, you know, the Jewish month Tevet, the 10th of that. It really, really was. I actually got an email from Chabad about it. Did you know about this? It is a fast day and commemorates the day that the armies of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem, the holy city, eventually resulting in the destruction of the temple and the exile to Babylon. I'm sure you are all aware of this and, and marked it accordingly, right? Thinking about it? No? Okay. All right. I'm seeing some confused looks. Well, the reason for the siege and the takeover of Babylon was because Israel was not faithful to God and to the Torah, to justice and love, to worshiping God alone. This is from Jeremiah 22, verses 8 through 9. Many nations will pass by this city, and they will say, each to his neighbor, why has Adonai done such a thing to this great city? Then they will answer, because they abandoned the covenant of Adonai their God and worshiped other gods and served them. Jeremiah was a prophet during this time of trying to get the southern kings in the land of Judah to repent, to be faithful to the Torah and to God. Uh, but uh, eventually his advice was rejected, and he was even thrown in a well with no water, and Nebuchadnezzar took over. Of course, there's another important occasion yesterday, the 25th of December, also related to Torah faithfulness. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Of course, the Shabbat of Parashat Vayigash, which I'm sure is, all, is on all of our minds, just like the 10th of Tevet, right? Absolutely. Mary says absolutely. You're going, you're going with me on this journey here. All right, that's good. I'm glad. I feel the trust. I feel the trust and the love. This week's Parsha, which uh, began uh, yesterday, uh, deals with another man faithful to God who is thrown in a well with no water, just like Jeremiah, and rejected by his brothers. I'm speaking, of course, about Joseph. After lying to their father, Jacob, and selling Joseph into slavery, uh, his brothers uh, uh, do this. Sorry. <clears throat> After his brothers lie to their father Jacob and sell Joseph into slavery, uh, Joseph does well for a little bit, but then he is wrongfully accused of sexual misconduct and thrown in prison for three years. And Joseph has a lot of time to think and process what has happened to him, what his brothers did to him. 
which of course could go one of two ways, right? One, he could replay it over and over, thinking about how to get revenge. Oh, I can't believe they did that to me. They'll pay one day. I'm going to rule over them, and then they'll see. They'll all see. <laughs> okay, he could have done that. Or choice number two, he could find a way over time to, as Elsa says, let it go, right? To forgive. Everywhere Joseph goes, whether serving in the prison or at the right hand of Pharaoh, he is faithful. Have you ever noticed that? Faithful to God, faithful to being forgiving and upright in his actions, faithful to his brothers, faithful to the moral foundation of the Torah, which even though it wasn't given yet, he, I believe that he, he followed that, that, that Torah morality. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? All right. And so he interprets the dreams of Pharaoh, being a man who receives dreams from God himself, and he saves Egypt and the surrounding nations from famine and death. Then when his brothers come back, he tests them to see if they have repented, but he doesn't do so to punish them, I don't think. So why do I say that? There's a particular line in this week's Parsha that I want us to look at. So this is when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and they are shocked at who this Egyptian official is. So he comforts them in Genesis 45. Here it is, uh, verses 1 through 5. See if we can imagine this scene. Now Joseph could no longer restrain himself in front of all those who were standing by him. So he cried out, get everyone away from me. So no one stood with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. But he gave his voice to weeping so that the Egyptians heard and Pharaoh's household heard. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. He would have spoken to them in Hebrew for the first time. Ani Yosef. Is my father still alive? And his brothers were unable to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They probably, if you could look at the scene, they were probably doing something like this. Right? Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near I'm Joseph, your brother, the one you sold to Egypt. So now don't be grieved and don't be angry in your own eyes that you sold me here, since it was for preserving life that God sent me here before you. Reading the Parsha, this last verse stuck out to me. Isn't that interesting? Another version says, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. Joseph has forgiven so completely, he is so faithful that he doesn't want them to turn on their own souls to be ashamed of how they treated him so many years ago. Can we imagine Joseph saying the same thing to us? Don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourself because of the mistakes of your past. You are forgiven. You are released. You are reconciled back to him. Which brings us to a, another example of faithfulness associated with December 25th. Okay, I can't avoid it anymore, but, uh, you know, why should I? The fact that so many Christians around the world are celebrating the humble birth of a Jew, the King of Israel, that is good news. Amen? As Meggie uh, reminded us earlier during our worship service. Speaking of good news, why don't we take a look at uh, the, uh, uh, the Gospel of Luke, 
but with Jewish eyes, who gives us account an account of the Christmas story. That's right. It's Jewish Christmas right here. And I'm not talking about Chinese food and a movie, but about our solidarity with the Church of the Nations, focused on the miraculous origin story of Yeshua. First, we see John the Immerser's story uh, from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a Cohen, a priest, named Zechariah from the priestly division of Abijah. Elizabeth, his wife, was from the daughters of Aaron. Together they were righteous before Adonai, walking without fault in all his commandments and instructions. But they were childless because Elizabeth was barren, and both of them were elderly. Zechariah and Elizabeth are noted for their faithfulness to what? To the commandments, to the Torah, as righteous Jews, despite their troubles and setbacks, just like Abraham and Sarah, right? Like Jeremiah, like Joseph. Elizabeth experienced barrenness, like Sarah, like Rebecca, and like, like, like Rachel, all the wives of the patriarchs. And yet she walked in the commandments of Torah, the uprightness and goodness, obedience to the law as a faithful Jew. How about the miraculous conception of Yeshua? Well, to uh, comment on the Jewishness of the Christmas story, I have not one, not two, but three mainstream Jewish scholars to, uh, to uh, comment on this. So the first is Dr. Amy Jo Levine, a mainstream Jewish scholar friendly to Messianic Jews, and this is what she says. Quote, claims that the incarnation, becoming flesh of the divine, is, a pagan, uh, is of pagan import miss Jewish sources that also recount miraculous conceptions. That angels can father children is explicit in Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4. And knowledge of, of this phenomenon is what makes Lamech, Lamech panic in some non-biblical sources about the divine look of his son Noah. The Samson story also implies that the unnamed angel and not Manoah is Samson's real father. Philo of Alexandria hints that God was involved in the conception of Isaac. Some Jewish sources also suggest that the priest king Melchizedek of Genesis 14 and Psalm 110, and also in the book of Hebrews, I will add, as a product of a divinely assisted conception. Unquote. The incarnation of Christmas is simply saying the same thing that the prophet Isaiah says. This is from Isaiah 9, verses 5 through 6. Why don't we read it together? For to us a child is born, a son will be given to us, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, my Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and shalom, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it through justice and righteousness, from now until forevermore. The zeal of Adonai Tsevaot will accomplish this. The idea of God dwelling with his people Israel, among his people Israel, starts in the Tanakh, right? It starts in the garden. Remember, God walks with them, he talks with them, and then later he dwells in the tabernacle. God speaks to Abraham, 
through the, Lord, the angel of the Lord, just as I'm speaking to you right now. It's, it's the, the picture in Genesis 18 is exactly the same. The idea that God can limit himself and be among us is hard for us to grasp, but it is Jewish. Rabbi Michael Vishagrad, an Orthodox Jewish theologian, who is another friend to some Messianic Jewish scholars, explained that the incarnation of God is quite Jewish because God dwelt within Israel. This is how he understood this, this piece of theology from the world of Yeshua faith. The fullness of God dwells in Yeshua. Uh, this is just an extension of the idea that God dwells among Israel, according to Michael Vishagrad, a blessed memory. Here's an, an imagined scenario from Rabbi Jeffrey Salkin, the spiritual leader of Temple Beth Am, a reform synagogue in Bayonne, New Jersey. Quote, my fantasy of the season. It's the afternoon before Christmas Eve. A clergy colleague from the neighboring church calls in a panic. He's stuck in an airport and won't be able to make it in back to town in time for the service. You have to fill in for me, he pleads. Gulp. Sure, I say, eager to help out a colleague in distress. But what do I say? With that, my colleague's cell phone runs out of juice, and I'm on my own. So here goes. Let's cut to the chase. This season is not about reindeer, gifts, trees, wreaths, jingle bells, or Santa Claus. No, this season is about the incarnation. Christmas claims that God took the human form of a Jewish child born to refugee parents in a manger in Bethlehem. Because of this child, God is no longer aloof from the world. I admit it, I joined serious Christians in bemoaning what the Christ Christmas season has become. The star of Christmas is no longer the child in the manger. It is rather a secularized, secularized version of a 4th century bishop named St. Nicholas, who was incarnated 10,000-fold on street corners and in shopping centers. The mall, rather than the manger, is now this season's Holy of Holies. Material excess now celebrates the birth of one who cast his lot with the poor and warned against the temptation of riches. This is a reform rabbi writing this. Isn't that interesting? And what about the Jews? What do we think about all this? Well, do we believe in a kind of incarnation? He says, perhaps. Take the Torah scroll. It contains the five books of Moses and is the central focus of Jewish reverence. Even those who doubt that the Torah is the literal word of God will concede there is something godly in the scroll, the record of the human attempt to relate to God. That is why the Jews treat the Torah scroll with such reverence. It is why they bury the scroll as they would bury a person, why they fast or donate to charity if they accidentally drop the scroll. It is why Jewish parents cry when their child clutches the Torah scroll at bar and bat mitzvah. And that is precisely why the Nazis took such savage glee in desecrating Torah scrolls. In a profound way, it was their attempt to eradicate the image of God in the world. In a powerful and almost mystical sense, the Torah is the incarnation of godliness in the world. That is the lesson of this season. God or godliness can become incarnate. Jews might realize that they believe that as well. As for me, I have my own Christmas minhag custom. Right before December 25th, I call my cherished Christian colleagues. This is what I say. This year, may God truly become incarnate for you and those you love. 
it is so much better than ho, ho, ho. Unquote. Yeah, not bad, huh? But that's, that, of course, is the kind of quality you would expect from anyone from Bayonne, New Jersey. Love you, babe. Anyways, Rabbi, Rabbi Salkin's assertion that the Torah is, in a sense, the incarnation of God is exactly what the Gospel of John tells us, right? Yeshua is that incarnate word, the Torah made flesh. And then there are all the miraculous births from barrenness that run throughout the Hebrew Bible. Yeshua's birth story fits and extends the story of Israel. For example, this is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and following. Then in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by Adonai into a town in the Galilee named Nazareth and to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Miriam, and coming to her, the angel said, Shalom, favored one, Adonai is with you. But at the message, she was perplexed and kept wondering what kind of greeting this might be. The angel spoke to her, do not be afraid, Miriam, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua. He will be great and will be called Ben Elyon, son of the Most High. Adonai Elohim will give him the throne of David, his father. He shall reign over the house of Jacob for a little while, for all eternity. Yeah, just seeing if you're listening. And his kingdom will be without end. Yeshua is described as a Davidic king from the house of David and a king over all Israel forever. Yeshua's parents also are faithful Jews in the birth narrative as well. Let's check out Luke 2, starting in verse 19, at the end of the shepherd's visit. But Miriam treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, just as they had been told. When eight days had passed for his Brit Milah, his, that's the covenant of circumcision, he was named Yeshua, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification were fulfilled, according to the, let me hear it louder, Torah of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present to Adonai. As it is written in the Torah of Adonai, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to Adonai. So they offered a sacrifice according to what was said in the of Adonai, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. I want us to notice the first part. Uh, it's not, I don't think it's up there anymore, but remember it says that Miriam treasured these things in her heart. Thank you, Robert. And uh, this is the same phrase in the Greek Tanakh uh, about Jacob, that he, he says the same thing when Joseph delivers his dreams and says, oh, uh, you and uh, all my brothers are going to come bow down to me, right? He doesn't he rebukes Joseph for this, you know, kind of strange idea, but he treasures it in his heart. It's the same phrase. We also notice the faithfulness to the covenant of Jewish identity, circumcision, and the offerings that correspond to the redemption of the firstborn and the purification laws, a ritual from scripture which is still practiced today in Judaism after 30 days, the, the pidyon haben, the redemption of the firstborn, which I've talked about in other other teachings. In Matthew's gospel, we see another connection to the Joseph story. This time, there's another Joseph, isn't there? The husband of Miriam, 
And what happens to him? How does he get revelation? He has a dream, right? Another dreamer named Joseph. And uh, what does that dream tell him? It tells him to go to Egypt to protect his family, to bring salvation to many, to protect Yeshua, to protect salvation, right? Just like Joseph goes to Egypt to protect his family and to bring salvation to many. So may this be a season where the idea that God dwells with you is real. He is really with you. He's really with you when you're frustrated, when you're out of options, when you're stressed, when you can't find something, and in the good times too, when you are full of joy, he is there with you. He came to be with us in Yeshua, and the spirit of Yeshua is still with us, among us, within us, by trusting. And this should inspire us to faithfulness to the Torah, the way of Joseph, who forgave and had concern even for those who had hurt him. Remember, he said, don't be angry with yourselves. Don't blame yourselves. That is the way of the Torah. That is faithfulness. It should motivate us toward the Torah and toward the incarnation of the Torah, who is Yeshua the Messiah. You know, I didn't grow up celebrating Christmas, but as a Messianic Jew, I celebrate the one that Christmas celebrates. Amen? Why? Because his story is Jewish through and through. And I say together with the Reform Rabbi Sarkin, this year, may God truly become incarnate for you and for those you love. Let's pray. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that we can understand uh, you being with us in Jewish terms. Even though these are uh, difficult things to grasp, we understand that you laid it out in your Torah. You laid it out in the Jewish writings. And uh, we uh, want to therefore draw near to you, to be faithful to your commandments, and especially to be loving and forgiving as, uh, as Joseph was in this week's Parsha. Help us to be conformed to your image um, because you are uh, faithful in love. We want to be faithful in love. And we want to be faithful to your word. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.